great to see all of you this morning. Before I move to the message, I have a couple of items that I need to care for as your pastor that sound more like business, but they are the work of the church as we look into the future. Uh, you know, I was living in the glow of Easter Sunday. I know many of you were with us and what a wonderful day it was last Sunday. And then I got a call. Pastor, did you send me an email asking for my help? How many of you got an email? I'm so sorry. The, uh, let me just assure you that if I need to ask you for money, it won't be by an email. <laughs> seriously, I mean that very seriously. And I won't ever ask you for money for me personally. And unfortunately, somehow one of our systems got hacked and somebody got a hold of some emails and sent a bunch of you requests. So I just, be careful, be aware Evil lurks even in technology. So be wise, please. And always, you're welcome to call, email, write, call the office, call a staff member. So I just want you to be well and be protected. The other point that I need to make you aware of is that on Sunday morning, April 30th, at 12 noon, we will meet here in the sanctuary for the annual meeting of Paznaz. And all are invited to attend and listen to the reports from pastors and ministry directors, as well as review the financials for this past year, hear the report of our executive pastor, the senior pastor. We'll meet here, generally the meeting lasts around an hour and um, somebody said, why do you do it on Sunday at noon so you all don't have to come out on another night? And so it's convenient. We're here on the property. There will be a special item of business in that meeting. Many of you know that since 2012, we have owned and provided ministry support for the former Nazarene Church in Valley Center. About four years ago, that worshiping community, which was part of Paznaz, determined that it was best to conclude worshiping. Subsequently, we leased the property to another church. And they had indicated an interest in purchasing the property and, and we spent about a year and they decided last year not to purchase the property. The church board has determined that rather than seeking to try and resource and subsidize a ministry 16 miles from this campus, it would be best if we sold that site. So the church board is recommending to the members of the church on April 30th that the site be sold. That is pending the approval of the District Properties Board, and it is also pending your vote on April 30th. We do have several offers on the property. 
And so we'll make you, um, we'll provide you with more details as we proceed through the process. You're welcome to ask any questions at the appropriate time and place, but want you to be aware that that item will be coming before you in two weeks on Sunday morning, April 30th. Well, as I mentioned, uh, this last week I was living in the glow of Easter Sunday. We had an early service at 7 a.m. out in front of the tomb and the crosses, a beautiful, beautiful morning. What a glorious time it was. And we sat for a couple of moments and just listened to the birds and the trees and the rustle of the breeze through the leaves and just reminded us of the breath of God that created all of that for us. And on those crosses, we had draped three different colored fabrics, white on the cross of Christ that is traditional, but black on the cross of the thief who rejected Jesus, and red on the cross of the thief who invited Jesus. And we were reminded of the great work of Jesus Christ and the resurrection that we celebrate on the Easter Sunday. And then on Monday, life happens for us, doesn't it? We go back to all that takes place. We go back to everything that's happening in our world. We go back to the news that confronts us about all of the challenges and difficulties taking place in capitals from Washington, D.C. to Beijing, China, to all around the world. And even this morning, we heard from Pastor Mateo of the outbreak of war in Sudan that threatens many, including his own brother. And so it is really a fair question for us to ask, how should we live after the resurrection until the return of Jesus? How should we live? Should we live in fear? Should we live in cynicism? Should we live with a spirit of criticism? Or should we live with faith and hope and love in such a way that reflects the work of God among us and that continues even today? By ancient Christian tradition, Easter is a season 50 days to celebrate resurrection, new life, and joy and hope. The 50 days of Easter, sometimes called Eastertide, include seven Sundays, the final Sunday of Easter, this year being May 21st, leading us to Pentecost on Sunday, May 28th. And so it is that we're in that season it is a season in which we have reflected on our repentance and our turn from our sinful ways that we've chosen at Jesus' invitation to take up our cross and follow him. It is a season in which our decision has been to join the band of disciples that have lived before us and to choose a countercultural life. Think about it for a moment. Is loving your neighbor countercultural? I think so. Loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and spirit certainly is countercultural. And 
And in following Jesus, we choose a life of hope and love rather than a life of cynicism and criticism. We choose a life that takes the long view and loves God with all of our being that is expressed in trust and confidence in the ways of God over the ways of humanity. We have chosen a life with a long view that has confidence that God is working things out even when it appears evil is winning the day. Such life is resurrection life that embraces the mystery and the power of the story of God that raised Jesus from the dead and will someday raise all who trust in Jesus from the dead to their own resurrection. Just as Jesus' life and resurrection were the fulfillment of prophetic expression and vision, so it is that we have our own prophetic vision to participate in and to long for. Such prophetic vision invites us to ask the post-Easter question, how shall we live between the first resurrection and the second coming of Jesus? It's a really, really important question. And the follow-up question to that is, once I understand how we are time to live in that time, in that space, it's to follow up and ask the question, am I living that way? How shall those who follow Jesus live in this age in a way that is hopeful and loving? How shall those who follow Jesus live as disciples of Jesus that points others to the hope of God's consummation of time and the beginning of a new heaven and a new earth? And so it is this morning we begin a new sermon series that explores the idea of being faithful to the end. For the next few weeks, we'll explore the imagination of God as expressed in the revelation of St. John. And I invite you to take a Bible, take your Bible, turn to the book of Revelation. It is the 66th book in the Bible. It is the last one. You can find it by taking the back cover of the book and turning left. And open it to chapter one because we're going to spend a few moments there in those opening eight verses that were read for us a moment ago. <clears throat> Pastor Brad and I, as we preach this series, invite you in these weeks to read through the book of Revelation with us. And this morning I'm going to give us a little bit of pastoral guidance about how to read it. For the book of Revelation has spawned great debate. It provokes great curiosity, and because of its apocalyptic imagery, it is often avoided by believers, uncertain about how to interpret the powerful images that are in those pages. It is one of the most fascinating books of the Bible. It is in and of itself a revelation or a revealed word of God passed through the chain of revelation. As you heard those verses read this morning, passed from God to Christ, to the angel, to John, to the churches. It's a chain of revelation. It is the revealed word of God. 
It is also without question a book of prophecy, apocalyptic in form, in the sense that it is a revealing of future events necessary for the completion of God's plan. It was written and distributed by John as a circular letter to the churches in Asia during hard times being experienced by the early church. And it is a letter that went beyond the seven churches. And Pastor Brad's going to talk about the seven letters to the seven churches next Sunday. It is a book that has generated much interest along with the books of Daniel and Ezekiel and some others who would seek to understand more about the return of Christ and to define what some call the end times. As a young man who grew up in the church, I grew up with preachers and prophecy seminars. Anyone else? I remember being eight or nine years old, sitting in our home church in La Habra during a special meeting week. And the guest preacher had these colored slides. Now recognize with me, this is 60 years ago. So colored slides in those days were a big deal. PowerPoint wasn't even dreamed of yet. But I remember one particular slide. There is a passage of prophetic scripture that talks about the moon, the moon turning red. And he had a slide with the, with the red moon. Now, if you lived in Southern California at that time, we had this substance hanging in the air called what? Smog. Do you know how often smog turned the moon red? And I would lay in my bed in my bedroom looking out the window at that red moon going... I was going to say, Pastor Brad, anybody else want to testify? <laughs> and so it is that we have witnessed such preaching and such prophecy seminars. We have heard of and read people like Hal Lindsey in the late great planet Earth that was popular in the 70s. During my college years, we, some of you, have supported Tim LaHaye's retirement and bought and read the Left Behind series. Some of you misunderstood my comment as being snarky. But the response to those kinds of writings reveals the profound level of curiosity people have about apocalyptic prophecy that might be fulfilled in their lifetime. In this series of messages from the book of Revelation, we hope to pique your interest in the book in a different way, to ask the question beyond thinking about when Jesus will return are there messages in the book of Revelation that will help us live today in this present world? And we believe, yes, there are.
It is not our intention to diminish interest in the return of Christ, but rather to learn from this wonderful, unique book how we can live with faith, hope, and love until Christ does return. So it is over the next four weeks that we would suggest that Revelation is a letter from God through John to encourage and sustain the church during complex times when the future would appear uncertain. It is a letter inspired by God out of God's love for the church that seeks to offer hope to the church. It is loving because it is a roadmap for how to live as a disciple of Christ during any season of time. Recognizing together that this book, this writing, this revelation has been in existence for over 2,000 years and as the word of God, it must speak into all ages, not just our present age. And so it is, Pastor Brad and I believe that there are timeless messages that can encourage us and give hope to us and sustain our faith and confidence in the work of God, even when we may not see God at work. I would further suggest that Revelation is a book of hope for the people of God because it confirms the intentions of God in an evil world and describes the final outcome for the people of God. during this four-week series. Let me encourage you with this. As you read it with us and you encounter those powerful, unique images, rather than asking who, let's ask what. Asking the question who can be a distraction to what God intends for the message of Revelation. Perhaps Eugene Peterson can help us a bit with our understanding of Revelation. He writes, Revelation is a gift, a work of intense imagination that pulls its reader into a world of sky battles between agents and beasts lurid punishments and glorious salvations, kaleidoscope vision and cosmic song. It is a world in which children are instinctively at home and in which adults, by becoming as little children, recapture an elemental involvement in the basic conflicts and struggles that permeate moral existence. And then go on to discover again the soaring adoration and primal affirmations for which God made us. The book is for all times because it is about all times. The flexibility of the book to give Christians a sense of direction and meaning throughout church history is a big clue to an approach to understanding the book. And so this morning as you look with me at Revelation chapter one, verses one through eight, let's just take a brief walk through those opening verses that were read for us. For they set the tone for the understanding of what is to follow. It is, first of all, 
a prophecy from God revealed through Jesus, through the angel to John, of what will occur in the sense of achieving God's ultimate objective, the redemption and salvation of God's creation and the establishment of God's kingdom over a kingdom of darkness and deception. Not in the sense of just the present day, but in the sense of God's dominion and activity across all ages. There was in the early church, and we, see it, we saw it here in these opening verses, the sense in the early church that the time was near. That the return of Jesus would be soon. And rather than suggesting that those people were in error in their anticipation, let me suggest that that kind of writing and thinking helps folks live with anticipation. That the encouragement is to live as if the time is near. but not to be, as one songwriter wrote years ago, not to become so heavenly-minded that we're no earthly good. John's introduction says that this is the testimony of Christ whose life and resurrection give witness to the power of God to achieve what will be described in the pages that follow. Verse 3 encourages us that blessed is the one who reads, who hears it, and takes to heart the message. For the time is near. It is a timeless message for today, for a hundred years ago, for a hundred years from now. It is a timeless message. Verse 4 reminds us that it is a message for the church, for the seven churches are representative of the church, which through the ages, like those seven churches, struggled at times to remain faithful as the perspectives and practices of the empire, Roman or otherwise, began to creep into the life of the church and began to subtly form people in ways contrary to the gospel. I hope we're comfortable with that idea and concept of empire. For throughout prophetic scripture, it is that which seeks to subvert the work of God, sometimes by looking like the work of God. Sometimes making promises to preserve the work of God. Could I just say the kingdom of God needs no help from the empire to preserve the work of God? And to believe that it does is a mistake of biblical understanding and needs correction. Verse 6 is a reaffirmation that we are made to be a kingdom a kingdom of priests, not necessarily to serve the world, but to serve God. 
for we are part of the kingdom of God. And verse 7 is the theme of the book. Live a life for God that anticipates the work of God in every age as we wait and watch for the coming of Jesus. And in verse 8, God is the beginning and the end. Just as God brought order out of chaos with creation, so God will bring order out of chaos at the end. As we read further into the book of Revelation, what will we find? Revelation records a battle between two cities, Babylon and Jerusalem. Remember, rather than asking who, ask what? Empire versus kingdom of God. Records a battle between two cities and two lords, Jesus and the Lord of the Empire, sometimes called the Antichrist, sometimes called the Beast. Rather than asking who, ask what? Revelation records the battle between the kingdom of God and the empires of man. And the kingdom of God calls us to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. The empires of human creation call us to love the empire because it, pre it presents itself as preserving our interests when in reality it is deceptive and seeks only to preserve its power and enslave those who subscribe to its objectives of self-preservation. We cannot take up our cross and follow Jesus and live by the principles of self-preservation. Revelation calls us to affirm by faith what we believe to be true, that God will overcome evil, which presents itself in the form of an empire and opposes loving God and neighbor and undermines loving God and neighbor. Uh, let me just make a comment about loving your neighbor. And I don't think it's with fear and trembling, but <laughs> Pastor Brad is right. We always come to the pulpit with this tension because we do not want to misspeak. It's always been fascinating to me when people want to talk about that passage in the Gospels of loving your neighbor. Often the first question is, who's my neighbor? Could I just say, I think that's a really cynical question because it seeks to limit. Could we just say this morning, I'm not going to take a vote? But I think as I understand what it means to love God with all my heart and follow that as an expression of loving God with my heart to love my neighbor, that my neighbor is anyone and everyone. That also aligns with 
John 3.16, for God so loved the world that, what's the next word? Whoever. Believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. There is in the gospel a thematic intention that everyone is everyone. And yet you and I live in an age in which the empire wants to define everyone as not being everyone, but being those who agree with us. You see, that's empire life. That's empire thinking. It's countercultural to love all those who don't agree with us. I think the world would be a better place. We'd probably have more meaningful, productive discussions if we lived that out. And the place to live it out is rooted and begins here in the body of Christ, in the church. It's not someone else's responsibility. We may disagree, but we can powerfully, fervently love one another. Or the bond of Christ is stronger among us than that which might seek to divide us. Revelation reminds us that God's kingdom will overcome the empire that seeks to keep people in bondage to an agenda that is often subtly different than the purposes of God's kingdom. It may appear in the clothing of the lamb and deceive the unprepared. If there's ever a season to be wise about the ways of God, it is this season. So as you read the Revelation of John, let me give you my suggestions for how to read it. Number one, read it with an imagination that asks, what has this message meant to the church across 2,000 years? For the word of God to be authentic and true, it needs to have a message that is the same across history, which will be the message into the future. Asking that question will take some of the pressure off of it, off of us to read it in the light of present day events. Second, read it with the imagination of faith, trusting in God's presence and power to see his church through whatever may come. Number three, read it with the imagination of faith that is wary of imitation, wary of an empire which comes in lamb's clothing promising to serve the things of God. Number four, 
Read it with the imagination of faith that is gratified and blessed by the ultimate outcome and victory of God. If you go into Revelation 19 and 20, there's a battle described and it describes the armies of the two armies gathering and then it's over. I'm always fascinated that it's just over. Y'all need to go think about that a while. Number five, read it with an imagination of faith that believes fully in the second coming of Christ and recognizes that the same power of the blood of Christ that was evident on the cross and in the resurrection of Easter will bring all things to consummation the end and it is the same power that accompanies us in this present life. In other words, the power of God that will overcome evil in the end is the same power of God that is with you in this present life, in this present age. Greg Beale made this observation. Revelation may be the most relevant book in the entire Bible, speaking to us today with its exhortations for God's people to remain faithful to the call, to follow the Lamb's paradoxical example and not to compromise. I'm going to suggest to you that one of the great themes of Revelation is not to compromise. Not to compromise. One of the great themes of Revelation is don't be deceived. It is way, it's much easier to be deceived than you think it is. Case in point was the fishing expedition that we encountered this last week. I got an email this week with a PayPal invoice telling me that I had purchased $426.39 of Bitcoin. Just click here, confirm this, please. They're still waiting for my payment. And they're getting better at it all the time. Better at it all the time. Revelation calls us to faithfulness. Calls us to countercultural discipleship. To live in a way while we wait for the next coming of Jesus, which may be near. When I was a young man in my bedroom watching that red moon, the time was near. 
60 years later, the time is near. Well, the message of Revelation is it's not about the time. It's how do we live until the time comes. So that when it does come, we haven't predefined it in such a way that we miss it. It's the lesson of Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. Many of those people waving palm branches and putting cloaks in front of Jesus as he rode in on the donkey believed that Jesus would be a conquering king to overthrow the empire. And when Jesus didn't overthrow the empire, there was disappointment and they turned against Jesus. Do you know where that comes from? It comes from a misreading of Isaiah. In Isaiah, there's a picture of two images of the Messiah. One is a conquering king, one is a suffering servant. Many people bet on the conquering king and miss the suffering servant. That's why I want to suggest to you some different ways to read Revelation. Don't get locked in. Let's think about how to live until Jesus comes. If we do that together, then whenever Jesus comes, guess what? We all go together. I think that's a pretty worthy idea. I kind of like you all. I invite you to go with me. we're going to pray and uh, we have intentionally moved the prayer time to the end of the service after the message because we think that perhaps there's something the Holy Spirit might be saying to someone that you want to respond to here in a place of prayer You may find as you read Revelation that the empire sort of snuck in on you a little bit. Or that maybe your definition of loving your neighbor isn't as broad as it needs to be. You see, the empire sneaks up on us. And we are, as the church, the bride of Christ that sacred special designation reserved only for the church. And God seeks to gather up the church in every generation, in every age, and invites us to stop and consider. So this morning as we gather for prayer. In just a moment, we're going to sing a chorus. I invite you to come to my right if you would like to be anointed for healing or to be anointed on behalf of someone for healing. We invite you to come here. A pastor or a prayer team member will pray with you and anoint you. Want to pray and meditate. This altar on the left is available. We won't disturb you. We may come over 
sanctify and bless you. Let the Spirit of God call you to a place of response. For the way to be prepared and the way to avoid being deceived is to be tender and open to the voice of the Holy Spirit inviting us ever closer to the person of Christ.